The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us here at We Watched a Thing. As usual, I'm Topher. As usual, he's Billy. I am, as usual. How you doing? I'm pretty good, as usual. How are you? Fine. Yeah. Fine. It's, just, it's just one of the... It's, like, it's just... It's fine. Yeah. Nothing of note. Not good, really. not bad. Five out yeah. of ten. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about... Some early Hitchcock shit. Yes. Specifically, The Lodger, A Story of the England Fog. Or Lon- oh, London, oh, London Fog? Up, you are oh, your goose. <laughs> the London Fog. That's right. Semi, uh, colon. Not semicolon. Colon. That's right. <laughs> Subtitle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, patron request. I, I, re- I love our patrons. I love that like, they use this as an opportunity to make us watch interesting films. It would be so easy for our patrons- to be dickheads like that one guy we have and be like <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender every time. So, yeah, good on you, patron. This is interesting. 1927 silent film directed by Alfred Hitchcock and starring Murray Out, Arthur Chesney, June Tripp, Malcolm Keane and Ivor Novello. It's Hitchcock's oh, third feature film and it was released on the 14th of February 1927. It's based on the novel The Lodger by Murray Bellock Lowndes. And what is it about, Toph? I think it might be a Batman origin story. <laughs> Wealthy dude, has some tragedy in the family, decides to take to the streets to, to seek justice. Yeah. Interesting choice. It's to- Bruce Wayne, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the whole comic book thing, interesting choice to have the serial killer nicknamed The Avenger. Why are they giving him such a cool name? Like, isn't an Avenger a good thing? Mm. Like, what is he avenging? Mm. Why is that the nickname of this serial killer? Better film than the first Avenger. <laughs> that was a shit film. But do you know what I mean? Like, who came up with that nickname? I'm absolutely in what, your corner. What is he avenging? Are the cops saying that it's good to kill pretty blonde girls? Yeah. Just avenging the fact that he went out and didn't pull any that night. <laughs> um. So, are you a Hitchcock aficionado? Are you familiar with a lot of Hitchcock? I was going to say I could count the Hitchcocks I've seen on one hand. That's not true. But I my, my Hitchcock is single digit. Yeah, mine would be the same. I don't particularly like Hitchcock. Well, the, uh, we've watched a Hitchcock film on the show before, which was at my behest, because I am a very big fan of Strangers on a Train. Um, you didn't love it from memory. I think no. you were a six. I was like, that's okay. See, I also, I'm a big fan of Rear Window Psycho and The Birds. I've seen a smattering of other Hitchcock, but nothing that I would say I'm a huge fan of outside of those four. I really like Dial M for Murder. Yeah. That's of what I've seen. Hitchcock films don't do to me what they do to a lot of people. No, but watching this, which is a very early Hitchcock film, I can definitely see how he became the renowned filmmaker that he is. First shot woman screaming straight in the barrel. I was like, ah, it's a Hitchcock film. Well, that's the thing. You can already see a lot of his motifs and stuff developing here and his directorial style, I think. There's a lot of stuff here that, for a silent film, you can definitely see his progression and and where he got to later in his career. Yeah, there's a he has a lot of recurring themes and uh, visual motifs Mm, that he's carried throughout his whole career. Now, I was going to ask, because I didn't notice, but maybe that's just because he was so young I didn't recognise him here. I didn't recognise him, but I know he's in the that initial press after that first killing. Right. He's in the crowd. Yeah. Have you seen a lot of silent films? 
No, not that many. I wasn't alive. Um, <laughs> Metropolis is one of my favourite films ever. Yeah. Um, but no, I haven't seen, like, a lot. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I think it was actually pretty well written. I was surprised that there were not as many title cards as I was expecting from a silent film. Apparently, about four out of five were cut in the edit. Right. Like, there were- Tons. And I think that that is what shows Hitchcock's strength, because there's a lot of things here that clearly he's gone, well, that's been shown visually. We don't need a title card here. You know, like early on in the film, we see blonde women reading the newspaper and getting scared and touching their hair. We know that there's a serial killer that is hunting young blonde girls and these girls are scared. We don't need a title card that says, oh, no, I'm scared. Like, you know, and he does a lot of smart stuff like that throughout the whole film. Early on, too, they use a lot of different ways to show text without having a title card. Things like the The typewriter, the newspaper, things like that. Which, by the way, how fucking slow are typewriters? (laughs) That was like a 15-minute shot. It was a very long (laughs) shot, wasn't it? But- That was some full dad two index fingers. But it is still, I think, smarter filmmaking than just having everything explicitly said, especially when you have to do that through title cards. So, I think there's a lot of smart filmmaking here. You know, things like- streetlights, you know, showgirls, stuff like that is pretty clever, I think. The only bad thing about delivering information through the press is is the term wet from the press. <laughs> yeah. It's a very sexual sounding- It is. I'm wet from the press. <laughs> There's no way around- in a, This isn't a criticism, it's just a thing. There's no getting around in a silent film- just stunning levels of overacting. Yeah, the campiness and the pantomiminess. It, it, yeah, you're right. There's no way around it. It and is like hurry up and overreact. Yeah, yeah. And look, in some ways that's a shame, but also we're watching a film of the time and that, you know, it, in some ways it adds to it because that's what it is and that's what it was. But also, like, I don't, that's not true across the entire cast. Like, the lodger himself mm. is not a- Big performance. Yeah, and I think that's partially because that's supposed to be the character. There's meant to be some ambiguity there. And uh, apparently in the original cut, it's not supposed to be clear by the end whether or not he is actually the killer. Yeah, I read that. Um, And they were like, apparently this guy was an up-and-coming star and they didn't want him to have that kind of associated Mm. with him. So they rewrote, reshot, recut to have him be a hero by the end. Um, But I think particularly on, you can see that there is meant to be ambiguity there. He's a very closed off and reserved character who doesn't give a lot. And yeah, because of that, he is the strongest performance in the film because he's he is the one who is not going over the top. Yeah. Even though when we first meet him and he arrives in the doorway and it's framed, it's lit and framed in a way that he might as well have a sign around his head saying, I'm the killer. Yeah, I know. Comes with, like, the scarf over his face. And he, yeah. But he looks like Nosferatu. It's all like, yeah. <laughs> but he still doesn't look as creepy as um, as Joe. Oh, my God. <laughs> was he wearing lipstick? I'm sure he was, yeah. He has very, very dark lips. For people that have grown up with, like, okay, we can just film stuff on our on our phones and everything. It might be news to a lot of people that- the amount of light you needed yeah. back in the day to be able to expose film is massive. There's a reason why a lot of the lighting- Okay, obviously, a lot of the time in film, sometimes there might be really harsh lighting is because that's how they want it to look. Another reason is that you just had to, through necessity, 
pound mm. massive lights at people. And because of that, you then need to cake on an inch of makeup. Yes. And it makes Joe look like something Horrible. from a nightmare. <laughs> he does. He really, really does. Joe even has a line where he says, like, I have similar taste to the killer. And I was like, because you're a vampire. Yeah. Like, literal taste. <laughs> Joe, you're definitely an unholy being. Get out. Even when I was like, the lodger may well be a serial killer, I was like, probably still a better pick than Joe. Yeah. I have to say, though, for the most part- I think given the restrictions at the time, you know, size of cameras, like you say, the amount of light needed, I actually think there's some pretty good cinematography here. Yeah, there is some very still overlit stuff, as you say, is often out of necessity. Um, But I actually think it was done pretty well. Mm. Part of the shame of watching a film this old is that it's really hard then to distinguish what was intentional and done by the director and what has been done in later releases. I watched the Criterion release of this film. There's a really interesting use of colour in the film. I mean, obviously, it's a black and white film, but they've decided to tint rather than straight black and white. Like, it's monochrome rather than black and white. It's 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 tinted. And it ties in really nicely with Hitchcock's title cards. I don't know if you know that he was a title card designer before his career as a filmmaker. And I think you can see that because these are some of the most gorgeous introduction titles and continuing title cards. The use of font and colour and stuff in them is really great. Sometimes I think they're, do- they're doing too much. Yeah, right. Like, I think there's times where it's like someone who's just figuring out Final Cut and is just <laughs> throwing everything they can at it. Like and there's some really cool stuff in there. And you've got to think that at the time, yeah. it must have been stunningly progressive, I yeah. imagine. Like the title sequence in particular with the, you know, the drawings and the torch and stuff. I thought that was really cool. But so that use of colour, particularly the blue and the orange ties through in the tint. Did you did you get that in your cut as well, where almost half the film is orange, half of it is blue? I don't know whether that was film stock, you know, whether that was an intentional choice or whether it was tinted in post-production by Hitchcock. I think it was a nice touch. I think it actually worked quite well using the use of tint. Um, it might have been a little bit uh, over the top sometimes. You know, you've got the deep blue for, you know, the more murdery scenes and then the bright orange whenever yep. things are happy in the house and stuff. That's it. It's like, it's definitely nighttime. Yeah. Look how blue we've made everything. Yeah. And I don't but- know whether it's necessary, but- Yes, they're working within some pretty serious restrictions here. Yeah. So, while, yes, it may well be unsubtle, not that many options. Yeah. Other interesting part about watching a film this old, particularly a silent film, is obviously with a silent film, the score is extremely important. Now, this film has been re-released so many times with different scores. Do you know which version it was that you watched? No, I don't. Describe the music to me. Was there a pop song halfway through? Is it when they were playing chess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What um, What was going on then? Yeah. So, that was- What was that song? So, I actually watched the film twice because I wanted to get the experience with different scores. The one with the pop song is Nitin Sawney's 2012 score with the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, I, I don't know how I feel. How did you feel about that score? I know that that moment was- I was just like, what, what is this? Yeah. I actually had to Google whether or not I had gotten, like, a Dodge copy that someone had just, you know, put a pop song over because 
It was strange. It, it was, was really, really strange. But that is legitimately how it was scored by Nitin Sawney. And I think that is actually clear as the song goes on. From memory, there are some lines in the song that are literally like describing what's happening on screen. They went a bit Randy Newman with it all. <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that score. And that took me out of the film because it's very repetitive. And I don't mind the kind of themes and motifs they have going, but- I didn't love it. It's very big band jazzy and- Yes. Yeah. Yes. I remember thinking, repeatedly thinking, I don't know if big band is right for what I'm watching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, then I rewatched it with Ashley Irwin's score from 2000 with the German Film Orchestra. And I think that is a much better choice. If you're going to watch the film, I would, I would try find that pairing. I quite like this. There's a thing about the film- where and this is not specific to this film, but where reaction shots they don't bother trying to place the reaction shot of someone in the natural environment of the scene that they're in. Where if someone's responding to something that's kind of horrific or something, we switch to a shot of them, and it's that kind of really vignette sort of shot yeah. that is not remotely placed in their environment, but it works within. The framing of the film. Yeah. And they're actually really cool shots. Yeah. In some films, you'd be like, that's just weird. Yeah. Like, she's clearly not in that room. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? But provided the feeling of it works. Yeah. With the story and the scene and the mood, um, they're, they're actually really cool shots. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where you can kind of see Hitchcock's development of motifs going because he's known for those, you know, very tight reaction shots. You think of, for example, the shower scream in Psycho where I'm assuming she's still in the shower, but it's, it's such a tight shot of her face that you wouldn't know. Um, and that's the kind of thing that he does a lot, which I think, yeah, works really, really well. Hitchcock is going, he goes for a lot in the film. Like, it's a bit of that almost film school, I'm just going to do everything I know how to do yeah. thing going on, like the, you know, the see-through ceiling. Which is a really with the pacing cool stuff. shot for and the it time. Is a, it is a very cool shot, but in a very look-at-me-be-a-filmmaker yeah. <laughs> kind of way. Yeah. Because he does pretty consistently, like, you know, from- We spoke about the title cards. It's It's certainly consistent that this is a guy- starting out looking to impress. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll agree with that. Definitely. It's interesting to me that this film is so early and then he's mostly known for his films a fair bit later than this. I would say 50s. I would love to know what happened in, in between there. Was he still developing his name as he clearly is here? And it's also an era where you were expected to cut your teeth for a lot longer. Mm. Not like, hey, Colin Trevorrow, you had- one film that was well-received, here, make Jurassic World. Yeah. Like, yeah. not what used to happen. You really did used to have to prove yourself. That's true. It's getting much more interesting, too. Like, I remember when they gave Mark Webb Spider-Man after his first film being 500 Days of Summer, and it's like, wow, is this just because his name is Webb? <laughs> are, we, are we doing a spider gag here? And, I, like, I-, I I actually liked Amazing Spider-Man. I was one of those three people who didn't <laughs> mind it. And I like 500 Days of Summer. But it was an interesting thing at the time that they just would do that. I wonder just how new it is. Like, people didn't know Jaws was going to be Jaws. Yeah. It's not like, hey, Spielberg, you made that thing with the truck. Here, have what will become a blockbuster. Yeah. People didn't expect that to happen with Jaws. 
So maybe it's Stephen's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the birth of the blockbuster. That yeah. probably was when it happened, yeah. yeah. All right, good work, Spielberg. <laughs> now we've got Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but his leak for his screenplay of Star Wars. Yeah. You said that you read that. Well, no, I haven't. I have not read this. I've read articles. Oh, okay. About You've it. read like synopses. Yes. Okay. And the, um, the concept art. That came along with it. And, yeah, I can't believe I now live in a world where I'm like, I wish I got Colin Trevorrow's Star Wars film. <laughs> it also featured actual lines for Rose, apparently. Yeah, wow. That's- that's That doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> I think maybe the triumph of Hitchcock's direction of this film is that, like we said, that when The Lodger first turns up, you're like, guilty. Yeah, definitely guilty. And yet, halfway through the film, you find yourself on his side, mm-hmm. even though it's given you no reason to be on his side. So why do we feel on his side? And it's because in scenes involving our lodger, Hitchcock shoots them from his perspective. Yeah, like they're, they're, def- they're scenes that are played out as if they are happening to him. Everyone else in the room, they're there. But they're not who the story is being told through. Yeah. And I think that's why we're like, oh, we're like really, you know, hoping <laughs> that he's not the killer and we want him to do it. Because as anytime he's on screen, yeah, the story is being channeled through him. I mean, um, also smart decision to cast someone so horrifying as Joe, because we instantly don't want to be on Joe's side. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, is it? Is it just something about the visual language of the time? Is is it just because the actor's a creeper? Is Joe secretly a killer? I don't know, but I want nothing good for Joe. He seems like it. He seems like it. Like, he's just- There's something- Why are the parents on his side? Yeah, 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 I know. You've seen Joe. Why would you be on his side? He's too old for your daughter. Ex- yes. He's possibly a vampire. Yes. Oh, like, every time he opens his mouth, I expect him to have, like, fishing hooks for teeth instead of teeth. <laughs> Like, I read this book by Joe Hill where, like, these children are turning into vampires. And as they do, their their teeth turn into, like, little, like, hooks, like fishing hooks. That's how I vision Joe because it's fucking terrifying. Yes. No good things for Joe. (laughs) Can I just say that dancing with your sister is a concept that can stay in the last century? (laughs) You don't want to grab Beth for a dance? No. Not at all. (laughs) But you wouldn't even dance with your partner. (laughs) I absolutely would not. If I'm in the bridal party and, like, it's your job to get up and hit the floor first so that everyone else comes up, I'll feign injury. Yeah. Um, No. (laughs) Like a soccer player. (laughs) Not happening. Yeah. I'm straight down hoping for a red card. (laughs) Did I at your wedding? I bet I didn't. I don't think you would have danced. I don't think so. Not not my bag. No. <laughs> Actually, no, I did. Did you? I did. I took one for the team at your wedding. Did you? And was like, yeah. I didn't ask you to, did I? I think it was implied. I wouldn't have. Well, you didn't know it. what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. Like, I just rock up and do what I'm told. <laughs> cool thing that the film does, um, the most famous example of this and the Probably the best example is Citizen Kane having the closing shot echo the opening shot. Mm-hmm. Rounds it all out. Tick. <laughs> Good job, Hitch. Can't remember what <laughs> that yeah, shot is. I was say, I, I but it's nothing, a note. <laughs> nothing to add to that because I don't remember the opening or closing shots of the film. <laughs> I watched it a couple of weeks ago. 
So, how are you scoring The Lodger? Look, I quite enjoyed it. There's, of course, rampant overacting and things that you're just so aware that you're watching a film, which, on the one hand, you've got to give it a pass because that's what happened. On the other hand, it is jarring. Mm. Um, but look, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm six out of ten. and happy that I can say I've seen it. And it's one of my favourite Hitchcock films <laughs> that I've seen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a seven. I'm much the same. I think it's- it is hard to judge it as a film of today because it's not a film of today. But as a piece of film history, I think it's very cool to have seen it and to see where, you know, Hitchcock, regardless of what you think of his films, he is widely regarded as, as one of the great filmmakers. It's very cool to see those early motifs starting to develop and, and to see where he, you know, started developing his style and stuff. So, yeah, I'm a seven. I enjoyed it a lot and I would definitely recommend watching it with – Ashley's score instead of Nitten's. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, de- I'm more than happy that this has wound up in our recommend pile. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Cool. What are we getting to next week, buddy? Um, I'm thinking of taking the week off. <laughs> Why is that? Because I don't want to watch <laughs> The Invisible Man. Oh, it'll be all right. Will it? It'll be all right. Elizabeth Moss is fantastic in everything. I love Elizabeth. Have you ever seen Elizabeth Moss be bad? I have not. No. So, I'm sure that at the very least, she'll be good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a bit of fun. It'll be a bit of fun. It's been a while since we've gotten to something kind of horror-y, thriller-y. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're getting to next week, so suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to make us watch something for the show or get early access to episodes, all that kind of junk, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week with Invisible Man. Go watch a movie. Quality sim- seminar. Fuck me. <laughs> you That's did what I did last week. <laughs>